This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. If I'm in a pub in the UK, in London, you know, and, and a fight breaks out, you can see it coming a mile off. You can just, it's just <laughs> absolute mile off. What's really yeah. interesting is if you're in a pub in Australia, you, you have no idea it's about to happen. You could be talking to someone and they could be joking and laughing and the next minute someone's thrown across the table. And wow. then very, very quickly that those two people that were fighting are suddenly drinking beer again. It's a really, it's a, it's a very, very strange thing that, that, that I've always thought was very Australian, the way violence kind of comes out of humour and, and is, is also broken by comedy and humour. So mm. I think in a lot of our films that, that there's a kind of brashness to the humour and, and, yeah, darkness and lightness can kind of play together. And I, and I, I just think it's because it's a hard land. everyone and welcome to episode 17 of the fourth wall i am your host griffin schiller and this is the show where we break down the fourth wall of the film industry as we get an inside look through our conversations with industry professionals ranging from directors actors you name it this show is of course part of the playlist podcast network where you can find the rest of our diverse film-centric catalog whatever your fix is we got you covered over there it's been a little while since my last episode as i'm sure you can imagine the state of the world has not made things easy in terms of landing guests, but I've got a great one today, and he's actually one of my favorite filmmakers working today, and I know I probably said that a lot, but he's someone whose work I truly admire, and I think what I admire more than his work is the kind of storyteller he is, and his mastery over the cinematic language, and also just how humble and genuine of a person he is. My guest today is Australian filmmaker Justin Kurzel. After shocking audiences with his disturbing and intimate examination of the Snowtown murders in 2011 Snowtown, the filmmaker instantly became one of Australia's exciting new voices. He continued his meteoric rise with the criminally underrated and underseen adaptation of Shakespeare's Macbeth, starring Michael Fassbender and Marion Cotillard. Seriously, no one saw that film, and it's very upsetting because it was one of my favorite films of the year it came out. It just... It took my breath away, to put it simply. The visually jaw-dropping and atmospheric adaptation cemented Kurzel as a master over cinematic grammar. His continued exploration of outlaws paired with Macbeth's astonishing visuals and primal action sequences positioned him nicely for a successful adaptation of the popular video game franchise Assassin's Creed, where once again he would reunite with Fassbender and Cotillard. While unfortunately the film was met with rather harsh criticism I personally, as an Assassin's Creed fan, quite enjoyed it, and I really got what he was going for there. There's definitely a lot of excellent filmmaking going on in that adaptation, and as you'll hear Kurzel say later on in this interview, there's a lot of merit to that film that I think often gets overlooked. However, his experience on Assassins caused him to want to reconnect with his roots, and in so doing, reconnect with a national hero 
in a way that he hadn't before. I'm of course talking about True History of the Kelly Gang, which marks a return to form for the director in what is one postmodern punk rock Australian western. Seriously, True History kicks a lot of ass. And if you're a fan of Kurzel's work, you're going to love this movie. During our conversation, we talk about deconstructing a legend in order to humanize him, how Kurosawa, Bellatar, Gus Van Sant's Elephant, and Scorsese's original storyboards for Raging Bull helped shape his filmmaking sensibilities, his experience making Assassin's Creed, and where he would have taken a sequel, why Todd Phillips's Joker inspired him, Australian cinema, of course, and the essential films you should watch after seeing True History of the Kelly Gang, and we dive into a whole lot more. Seriously, guys, I really enjoyed this conversation. It just felt so real and genuine, and I think Kurzel is a very humble filmmaker who is not afraid to do some self-reflection when it comes to his past work, especially when he's talking about Assassin's Creed. You can see that he probably would have done things differently had he been given another opportunity, but the guy is nothing but classy and humble, and it was truly a real pleasure to have this conversation with him. So hopefully you all enjoy it as much as I did, but without further ado, let's get into this thing. Here is my conversation with Justin Kurzel. First, this is going to sound like a really weird place to start, but like, are you, are you like a big fan of, of like true crime and that sort of stuff? Because, you know, across all of your films, I've really gotten like a, st- a sense that like your work is rooted in that subgenre. Like e- even elements of Assassin's Creed feel like that. Um, and I, I think I read that your approach to true history was kind of like going back to investigate the source of the Kelly gang or like the, the Kelly legend or something like that. So uh, one is that true? And then two, if it is true, where, where does that kind of fascination originate from? Um, well, I, I guess it sort of started from Snowtown and sort of making that, 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 that first film about, you know, one of Australia's worst serial killings. And a lot of it happened in the neighborhood that I grew up in. I, I, I guess in Adelaide too, there were a lot of killings happening. There was, mm-hmm. It was a. It was sort of joked at the time as the sort of serial capital of serial killer capital of Australia. So, oh, I gotcha. guess growing up, I was always kind of quite. Um, you know, it was at the forefront of my mind the fact that you know kids were being taken on the streets and you know these sort of strange things were sort of happening in the in the in the state. Um, but I, look, I I think you know after Snowtown, there were a certain number of things that were sort of being brought to me that had definitely a kind of true crime feel to them. So mm-hmm. sometimes your work does gravitate you just organically to, to other pieces that are the same. Um, I mean, true history of the Kelly gang was, was, was really about sort of um, prodding and poking at a kind of, you know, why well, I call them a kind of mythical legend in Australian history yeah. and Ned Kelly. So it was kind of a, about how you kind of, I guess, get past the true crime and the kind of um, biography of him and sort of start to, you know, look at, look at uh, why we kind of, um, you know, put him up in, in, in on a kind of pedestal uh, throughout history. Yeah, no, well, and I think that's what's so interesting about this version because, like, obviously there have been, like, you know, numerous uh, iterations of, of, like, films and whatnot that that tell the story of uh, Ned Kelly, but it's always done 
with like the mythology in mind. And it's like with this, you, you don't necessarily like paint him as a hero or like a villain. It's, it's like a much more thoughtful approach. Um, and I think it's beautiful that that's just like beautifully highlighted towards the end. Um, in like the, the juxtaposing speeches that are going on, like the one from the, um, uh, like the teacher and then the one that are like Ned's final words to his daughter. Uh, so I guess where does your view, like how has your view on Ned Kelly uh, as just like a figure kind of evolved over time and where do you see him? What do you see him as like right now? Uh, well, look, as a kid, he was a bit of a carnival. Like he was a sort of, you know, I remember having Ned Kelly pies and you'd go to the Ned Kelly, you know, museum and there'd be a 20 yeah. foot Ned Kelly outside sort of, you know, Wangaratta. Like he, he was a, you know, he, he was sort of someone, I guess like a Jesse James figure, but someone who just captured the imaginations of many people. I don't know whether it was the armor or whether he had this sort of Robin Hood type kind of feel about him. Um mm-hmm. But definitely now he's he, there is a much more divided kind of uh, um, opinion about him. You know, the, 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 there's there's a lot of people that kind of now feel as though, you know, at the end of the day he was a cop killer and a murderer, and um, you know, very very little about him was kind of virtuous. I I was just sort of fascinated as to the idea of someone's history being stolen from them. You know, that, that, you know, the film was a kind of broader take on, I guess, mythology and a country desperately needing that mythology, how it was sort of dealing with its own history and its own past. I mean, Australia's, you know, first settlement is, wasn't that long ago. So, you know, why did we kind of attach ourselves to this 24 year old young bushranger, you know, which Mm -hmm. is kind of all it was. So that, that, that is what I probably got out of Peter Carey's book the, the most and, and actually it allowed me an in to, you know, doing another Ned Kelly film because there's so many that have been done here in Australia and so many books sort of written that are probably your more traditional biopic and, and, and this, was a, this sort of felt as though it was sort of much more um, than, than, than just that and just the man. So, um, yeah, but, he, but he's, I mean, you know, he's, he's a very complicated man <laughs> a lot of yeah oh no yeah yeah have very different sort of feelings about him he's he's not so sort of um yeah he's not so sort of straight in terms of how you how how, how he is uh, looked at here in australia yeah well and and i think that that definitely comes through in the film because i mean like most people like not every, everyone has like good and bad inside of them and it's just like because of the circumstances he was in uh and and you know, I guess destiny, you could say like he went down a certain path and ended up becoming like an outlaw, but there is like, you know, a virtuous kind of like aura that's, that's around him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I look, and that definitely comes through, that definitely came through in the book. It's really, yeah. My, my, my only interpretation of Ned is the Ned that Peter Carey wrote. And, and what's really fascinating about it is that Peter Carey gave Ned Kelly words so, yeah, even though it's a fictitious point of view, in, in some way it felt to me the most truthful. And, mm. and, and, and the first time I was able to relate somehow to Ned Kelly, and I, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's, he's speaking to his daughter throughout the whole thing. It's really intimate. It's first person. Mm. And there is a sense of a guy desperately trying to kind of steer away from his destiny. And the destiny is to be a Kelly and to, and, and to kind of live through this name. 
and to be the thing that everyone wants him to be, which is this bush ranger and a bit of a kind of monster. And I, and I find that really interesting when you've got characters that you know are good, you know, that have virtue, that could be something other than what they become. You know, are desperately trying to run away from that destiny and, and, and eventually then just become it. Th- those kind of struggles are, are, are really are really fascinating to me. You know, it's similar to Jamie in Snowtown, the, the young kid yeah. of, you know, of, of you know, whether this kid was sort of born with this evil in him or, or, or actually kind of was he sort of led and lured and was, was he sort of desperately trying to kind of shift and change that, that, that fate that, that happened to him at the end of the film. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's interesting that you bring up Snowtown in that regard because it's this does feel sort of like the culmination of like your your past um work, I guess you could say. Cuz like in Snowtown there's a lot of tackling of like the loss of innocence and whatnot. Uh and then obviously Macbeth there's like the paradox of like prophecy um in destiny and it to some extent or not even to some extent basically the whole film. And then even like in Assassin's Creed while it's you know, a little more removed from your past works, there is this, you know, uh, Callum Lynch was destined to become like, you know, the, the assassin figure. So like, what is it that you kind of find fascinating about that whole thematic exploration? Um, well, well, I, th- I think it's really hard to change a destiny. Like I think to, to really rally against something that feels organic in you, to, 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 to move towards something, to be like someone, you know, like Assassin's Creed was really interesting in terms of the DNA that runs in you and, and, you know, how you are sort of made up of the experiences that have come before you. Um, and you know, I, 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 it was interesting, you know, thinking about Red Kelly, Ned's father, who was, you know, a, a part of the Sons of Steve in Ireland, who was a sort of, you know, um, a, a very kind of notorious kind of, you know, uh, person in his own right, you know, was Ned ever going to be able to sort of outrun, you know, his, his father's kind of uh, DNA. Yeah. So that, that, you know, as I sort of said before that, that, you know, are we, are we destined to become the thing that we're, we're, we're kind of um, chosen for or, or do we, do we have the power to govern our own kind of fate is, is, is just a, a really fascinating thing for me. And I, and I also think there's a kind of point of view in it, the cinematic point of view that becomes really interesting as well. You know, what are mm-hmm. the signs? What is the landscape trying to tell that person? Um, the sound world, what, what's leading that person and, and what's the friction there in terms of that person trying to kind of shift and rebel against it? Well, and yeah, and actually that's really interesting that how you kind of like touch on that because the, the visual grammar, not only of this film, but really your your entire filmography is so distinct to the point where it's like, yes, there's dialogue, but like you really don't need the dialogue to understand what's going on or, or to uh, understand what's going inside of these characters' heads. And so they kind of convey more uh, like mood pieces and so and I, I think the best example of that is is uh your work on Macbeth where you you literally personify Shakespeare's words of like uh sound and fury what is it about that approach to filmmaking that that you um enjoy the most why why do you kind of like latch on to that um I don't know I, I think I think the worlds and the settings really sort of govern the way I want to take things. I mean, I'm always looking for what the cinematic point of view is. I'm always looking to try to be, to try to push things a little, 
um, cinematically, uh, you know, and I, and I, and I, you know, with something like Macbeth, so much of that was about Scotland and about sky where we filmed it and, and mm. the sort of Western sort of nature to it. Um, and then how, I guess that visual world would, would sort of marry to the verse and, and, and sort of dance with it. But, yeah. um, you know, true history was very loud and, 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 and bold and I was coming off oh, assassins yeah. and, and really wanting to just kind of connect a little bit more to maybe things I've done in the past, but, um, but, but also be quite brave, um, in, in the approach of telling the story. Um, and there was a kind of attitude and an energy to that book that I felt was playful and fun and, um, kind of anarchic in a sense, but yeah, I like, you know, the next project I'm sort of looking at, I'm really subdued and restrained and I'm really interested in, in, you know, sort of maybe exploring that in the next film. So I don't, I don't, but, I don't, I don't feel as, I feel as though it's the project that really sort of dictates how far stylistically gotcha. you kind of go for me. Um, yeah. and you know, but I, but I definitely have been attracted to some sort of bolder kind of, uh, ideas and stories, um, of like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I guess it, it just totally, you know, side note to that. What, what are some of your films that some of your favorite films that, um, take that sort of approach, uh, to, to filmmaking? Um, well, you know, uh, Kurosawa was a massive influence when I was doing Macbeth, you know, he, mm. he, he, his, his sort of Macbeth rendition was really inspiring to me. Um, I don't know, you know, I go through different periods. I remember when I was first really intrigued and interested in film and thought maybe I'd really love to do this. I went through a massive sort of, um, a Bellatar kind of period and then sort mm. of that led on to sort of looking at Gus Van Sant's films like Elephant and, mm. and Last Days that were really influential. I, I was really fortunate in that I was sort of paired up in my short film with the Dardenne brothers one year in New York Film Festival and I saw The Child and that really changed my idea of uh, performance and, and, a, and a sense of authenticity on screen. So, it, 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 you know, it it's a real mixed bag. You know, I, I, um, I, I went, you know, when I was going through a period of real sort of social realism and watching a lot of kind of work that was heavily unaffected, you know, I, mm-hmm. I was sort of reluctant to, 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 to sort of get into directors that were kind of much more bolder and, and, and more kind of, I guess, leading sort of cinematic, but, you know, lately I've been really intrigued by that style of filmmaking. You know, uh, I, I, I love at the moment. I was looking at sort of some original storyboards of Raging Bull that Scorsese did, and um, oh yeah, it is quite extraordinary. Kind of just looking at every single shot is the shot in the film, yeah. and that so many of those choices were made before the film started, and that that's that's a that's a really uh, uh, amazing thing, especially in these times where a lot of films are kind of made in the edit. You know, you have mm-hmm. all cameras going up because you're trying to, to actually sort of. Uh, be able to make a film in your head before you start shooting it and and for that camera really just to be the kind of sole sort of cinematic kind of compass when you're shooting I, I think is is you know really exciting so it flips and flops a lot and you know I'm always kind of curious to see how you know different directors work and um, you know and, and what 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 sort of feels I guess unique you know Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's funny how you mentioned a, a lot of films are are made in the edit these days because I 
that's that's so true and well and you know you now having been in like the indie uh world and then you know making your foray in in like with hollywood blockbusters i guess you really get uh the perspective on on both sides of it yeah well yeah with assassins you had like 21 cameras going at the same yeah. time and you can do the edit suite and you're like how do i get through this and you know sometimes i think you can get lost i think there's just too much you know it's a sometimes it can be about kind of capturing how do we capture as much as possible while we're shooting mm. as opposed to how do we actually edit down now and actually choose exactly what the audience needs to feel and experience. And, um, you know, I have a huge respect for that and admiration for that. You know, sometimes there are films that, you know, have a certain feel and a vibe to them that, that, you know, charm to them, which is about capturing it on the day. It is about a kind of, something that feels very kind of fluid and immediate. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I, and, and I really appreciate that as well, but there's a kind of logic to that. There's a vision to that, but I think, you know, a lot of the times now it's just get your camera up and, you know, (laughs) what do they call it? They call it like, um, sweep it up. Sweep up the scene, you know, you got a wide yeah. hidden ground somewhere and you've got sort of two close ups that don't overlap, you know, and you're shooting three or four cameras at the same time and you you know, a lot of that happens in T V, but um, mm. you know, that to actually kind of go, you know what, I just want the audience to see this and this is the point of view of the character and this is the sort of cinema in the in the in the in the film, that that's that that's um super impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess, you know, to, to that point, do you think that um, you would ever go back to doing, you know, Hollywood blockbusters or whatnot, or do you just, do you think you just enjoy working in that workspace? Yeah, I think you can, you know, I, I got really inspired by seeing Joker. You know, I thought that that was, I thought that was an, I thought that was an auteur, auteur piece. So like I really sure, did yeah. think, oh, yeah. so kind of, you know, even though it was, you know, a Marvel film and, and there were kind of traits there that you, you, you know, you knew that film had to hit and you, that was uh that was a really, really surprisingly uh, auteur driven film. And, and, you know, I got, you know, I, I think for anyone that kind of, suddenly is making kind of Hollywood films that's able to Hollywood films, studio films of that sort of size scale. uh, They're able to sort of maintain their own voice in that as distinctly Mm -hmm. as it was in like the Joker. I I think that's really admirable and amazing. So yeah, I definitely love to to, to do, to do a, um, another big studio film, Um, you know, but I, I definitely would want to go in knowing um, the reasons why I was doing it and, and, and also what the vision was. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess and to that point, and, right, right. And it, it's, it's, in, you're right because like Joker really, in a way it did, you know, open up the floodgates and with all the, the money it made and the, the praise it got uh, as well, not only from critics, but like from, from fans as well, it really said that like, Hey, we can make these like big, you know, auteur driven sort of art house movies and market them to a mainstream audience. So it's, it's kind of comforting to know that there is still, you know, interest in, in like, you know, filmmaking movies to in that regard, you know? Yeah, I think so. And look, and I think maybe even more so than ever now, you know, where, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, I think the days where you're just flinging money around and, you know, everyone's getting paid. I think it's over. Like I, I, I think there will be a kind of humble, hopefully 
I mean, my, out of all of this, if, if the storytelling becomes a little more simpler and a little bit more humble and, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is about, you know, it does get back to kind of great ideas, performance, um, you know, then, then, you know, we, we, we could, we, we could get some really amazing stuff over the next period of time. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was really surprised by the Joker. I, you know, I, I, and I went and saw it in a cinema and it was packed with young kids, you know, it was, oh, yeah. and that was, you know, it was the first time I'd been in the cinema for a very long time where, you know, people, you know, I'd, I'd just been in India shooting a TV series, Shantaram, and you go to the cinemas there and people are throwing things at the screen and at the screen <laughs> and yelling and dancing yeah. and kind of like really visceral and there. And, and, it was similar as watching the Joker. There was a real energy there. There was a sort of zeitgeist going wow. on that, you know, I, I, I found really, really intriguing. So yeah, you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's nice every now and again when you sort of see a film that, 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 yeah, is supposed to be a certain thing, but, but, but actually kind of comes out in a, in a completely different way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I do want to touch on uh, Assassin's Creed a little bit because like I, apparently i you know i'm one of the very few fans of that film i guess out there i actually really enjoyed it because i i'm a big fan of the games um and i thought you really captured the spirit of that first game in particular uh especially when the games themselves have such a ridiculously complex and often convoluted story i thought you you guys really uh gave it your your best with that one but um i kind of want to just talk about your your experience on that and, and, you know, working with a studio to bring a vision to life. Um, was there ever any pressure from, you know, Fox or, or Ubisoft to incorporate characters and story threads from the game um, into, in, into the, the film? Or did you have more like creative freedom with that? Um, I think there were certain aspects of the game definitely that, that they wanted, you know, that everyone sort of felt as though it would be really fantastic to have in the film. And um, I don't think there was ever, I don't think there was ever kind of like you have to do this. Um, mm. I think that the challenge is exactly what you, you, you just sort of mentioned with, with that film was it is so complicated, the, the, the ideas in it. And you've got sort of two different worlds. You've got this sort of modern del- world of Callum Lynch who um, then goes into the animus and goes back to a kind of particular kind of time. And to be honest, most people, when they play the game, that's what they're, that's why, that's why they're playing the game is to kind of yeah. be immersed in a kind of particular kind of period of history. Um, so it was, it was really tricky that balance of like, how much do you sort of start in the future? You know, how much do you sort of land in, in, in the past, how the two kind of time periods kind of, riff off each other and that became the most challenging part of the writing. I mean, I look, I, there are aspects of that film I really love and are really mm-hmm. unusual and, um, you know, definitely was surprised by some of the kind of feedback from it uh, because sure. I think there's a lot of merit in it. And, and yeah. um, but, you know, def- definitely the most challenging part of it, I think, was, was all of us trying to land what is a really complicated story. Um, yeah. And that, that, that was from the beginning, the, 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 the thing that, um, you know, we, we, you know, we knew was, was tricky. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, honestly, I, I really, it, it, given the confines of a feature film, I, you really did everything you could in balancing the storylines um, where it's like the games are so long and then you have to cram all that into a film. Yeah. It, it becomes, uh, incredibly difficult and but but like there's a a simplicity to it that maybe yeah when i look back on it i go sometimes 
sometimes things need to be simple. And the, mm. the idea of brotherhood, the idea of sort of going back in a period of time and joining a kind of creed, that, that, that I think is a really, like a Western, you know, is, oh, yeah. Yeah. is a really, really powerful thing. And there, there have been times where I've looked back and thought, you know, would it have just played in a much simpler, more <laughs> sort of clearer way if it had just all happened in the past? So there's, mm. there's, there's definitely sort of, you know, that was a really fascinating kind of project in regards to, you know, how, how complicated do you make things and, and, you know, does cinema work best when there's a kind of simplicity in it that, that allows sort of many ideas to kind of breathe a little bit. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting that you, you say that, you know, simplifying the story probably would have been the better route because I, I have, you know, just speaking to other people who enjoyed video games and video game movies and really want to see like the one that breaks through the ceiling. Um, a lot of people say the the reason why there hasn't been one that's broken through is because um, is because of the the um, I guess the urge to to put as much from the games into the film yeah. as possible. Yeah. Um, and so I, I guess you know you on You're retrospect. Right it was, yeah. it was, I, was, I was thinking about like great books as well, you know, that you, yeah. you suddenly, you suddenly have to make a kind of, you know, 600, 700 page, uh, page book. And it's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a masterpiece and there's so much kind of, you know, crammed into it. Um, how, how do you, how do you suddenly shovel that in, 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 in 90 yeah. minutes? And sometimes I think you need to just sort of dismantle it all and actually then approach it in a very simple way. What is the most, yeah. I mean, I've just been working on a TV series Shantram, which is a thousand page book that they've been trying to make for a film for, for years. And now it's sort of mm-hmm. a TV series. And actually it was kind of a perfect format for it, you know, because you yeah. didn't, you didn't have to kind of fill it and try to, so, you know, so maybe, you know, maybe Assassins would work really fantastically as a series, you know, maybe. I, I maybe think so, a, yeah. Maybe there's a, a way of sort of simplifying the, the concept of the game to, to really find. But, yeah, it was always, it always felt like a Western to me. It always felt like, oh, you know, yeah. samurai film or a kind of like, you know, and, and, and looking back now I kind of think, you know, maybe the simplicity of that, you know, and just sort of setting in the past, um you know, it'd be interesting whether that would have, um, you know, would have, would have worked or not. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, but before we move away from assassins, I do want to ask you, cause I remember, um, when the film released, like Michael said that you guys had like two or, or three films sort of planned out, or you had ideas for sequels. Um, I'm not sure if those are ever going to happen, but like, I, can you give us like any taste as to like what, you know, you would have explored in the follow-ups to, to that original film? I don't think we got down the track too far with 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 that. I think all our focus was sort of at the time on on making that first one. But look, it, it, I mean, it's obvious it, it was like pick your pick your sort of time period in which you could um, where you could kind of travel in next. Um, you know, I was really I, I thought it'd be really interesting to instead of going back so many years to actually kind of go back to a period in time that felt closer to the present. Mm. Um, yeah, it, you know, it, it's um, there were there are many opportunities. I think uh, to 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 go back to any kind of time and 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 kind of period there for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, that that, that would have been. I would have loved to have seen it. I really would have. So I'm dis- <laughs> disappointed that we we probably won't. But uh, you, you were mentioning uh, uh, I'm sorry. What's the name of it? Uh, Shant- Shantaram. That is that right? The, the Apple. Yeah. 
Yeah, the series you're working on. Um, so, because I just wanted to get some like updates on upcoming projects you have going on. Uh, I I assume that that whole production is just halted not only because of you know the global pandemic that's going on, but also uh, the scripts weren't finished. I believe, right? Yeah, the, 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 the scripts were still being sort of developed, so there was there were they were on a bit of hiatus to um, just sort of get them you know get get them to a place where they felt. Uh, kind of ready, so we, it was complicated. It's complicated, Chandran, because you're shooting in yeah. India, and monsoons happen in a particular period of time. So, you know, in the middle of the year, so you've kind of got just two avenues in which to kind of shoot. So, yeah, it was just about kind of um, you know sort of stepping back from it a bit, and 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 the, for the writers to kind of you know catch up, and um, yeah, and then and then this sort of happens. So it's, yeah. it's on a hiatus, but you know. It, by all sounds, you know, everyone's really happy with it and it, it'll, it'll hopefully sort of start up again when, yeah. when everything gets back to normal. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing you and Charlie Hunnam reunite should be, should be really fun. Yeah, Charlie's fantastic. He's fantastic in it. He's, yeah. he's, um, he's such a good actor and he's, he's, it's been great actually. I like, I, I just met Charlie he, he, he asked to meet and we just had a coffee in LA for one day. I was only, in, I was only there for a few days and um, uh. you know, about the possibility of working together. And some, it's really interesting how sometimes those kind of just chance meetings that you don't, that you think are just casual and won't lead to anything. Like he really came in and, you know, was amazing, came down to, to Australia and did, 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 you know, a, a week's work on true history of Kelly gang. And from that, mm. we really dug each other. So yeah, I had a great, I've had a great time working with him on on Shantaram, and he's really he, he he's a really um, seriously good actor, and and um, oh, yeah, someone, I, someone I'd love to you know keep working with, and you know, and definitely a really good friend. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the gentleman, but I I absolutely yeah, loved him. Yeah, yeah, he's just... fantastic in it. Yeah, he's great, and he's you know his career path. It's been so, he's he's so bold in what he's done, and you know, and and. I think he's, um, I, you know, I think he's probably, you know, right now at a really fascinating stage in his career. So, mm. uh, you know, I think he's going to be doing some great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, it's just getting me more excited for the show. So um, I know there's other, there was like an announcements of like a couple other projects. Like I think in 2019, there was something about you being attached to, uh, Ruin, which is like this World War II thriller with Margot Robbie. Um, is there anything sort of happening with that? Or yeah, yeah, I'm still attached to it, and we're we're still developing that. Um, okay, you know, we it, it's definitely you know something that that that's in front of me. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, and then the other one uh, is a series adaptation of Richard Flanagan's novel, The Narrow Road to the Deep North. Uh, yeah, I'm doing that. Yeah, oh, I'm doing that Sean Grant, who, who who wrote Snowtown and Trees through the Kelly Gang. So we're both yeah. uh we're both making that. It's an incredible book. It's you know, probably you know it's you know, really amazing to sort of come off something like Trees through the Kelly Gang and then sort of be part of, you know, a real masterpiece like Richard's book. So that yeah. that we've just got to we've just finished the episode where we're, you know, hopefully hopefully going out to share it with people very soon. But it's a really exciting, exciting series, yeah. Awesome. Cool. Good stuff. Um, so I guess to kind of like wrap this up, uh, we like to do a thing called film essentials, which is, uh, where I ask you what the essential films are, uh, for someone to watch if they want to better understand or appreciate true history. Um, I'll even open it up to like, you know, essential Australian outlaw movies to some extent, but if someone really wants to get into 
you know, the, the pillars of what made true history, what it is and like wants more movies like that. What should they, uh, what should they go watch? Um, well, a lot of my inspiration were probably the films that really affected me as a kid about the Australian landscape and I guess how kind of dangerous the, the, the Australia can kind of be at times. And, and, uh, you know, films where characters sort of get lost in the Australian landscape. So, you know, Wake in Fright, this Ted Kotcheff film, which was made in the 70s in Australia. Ted Kotcheff made um, First Blood and, um, mm-hmm. and Weekend at Bernie's. Um, mm-hmm. Sort of had an amazing career. But he, he, he kind of created one of the first kind of, you know, seminal kind of horror films in, in, in Australia about an English teacher who kind of gets shipped out in the middle of the Australian bush and um, the night that he's about to kind of go back into the city with his money and he's done his time in the bush teaching these kids. He plays two up a gambling game and loses all his money and the night turns into days and weeks and he kind of gets lost in this apocalypse of Australia. <laughs> the country kind of eats him up. Uh, a, a yeah, bit. And yeah. It's terrifying. It's terrifying and it's kind of quite brilliant and it's had a massive effect on many Australian filmmakers. Um, wow. <laughs> Mad Max was a huge influence, you know, mm. that, that, that sense of sort of, you know, bad, bad lands of, of, of Australia sort of sent, set in a kind of an apocalypse. Um, uh, you know, I walk about as another Australian film, Sunday too far away, break them around. There's, there's sort of, there's sort of many there that, that, you know, I, I guess as a kid growing up, you know, sort of terrified you in a way. Mm. Um, but also there was something strangely kind of familiar and beautiful about um, the way they kind of portrayed the, the landscape in Australia. So um, they, they were, they were huge influences on true history. Not, not at the time that I was making it, but just sure. <laughs> growing up and, you know, um, so I'm a huge, I'm very connected to Aussie films at yeah. the moment and and, and they, they were probably the biggest ones but wake in fright check check that out it's it's uh it's really really substantial film and um i think scorsese ca- called it he, he played i think with raging bull mm. the raging bull in Khan. Mm. that was the same okay. year a selection of scorsese saw it and said it was the um, most frightening film he'd ever seen wow so, well, there you go. <laughs> it's, definitely, it's definitely something to, 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 to check out. Yeah, I, I have not seen that. So I, I, I'll definitely have to have to check that out. But I, I well, you know, just I am curious, being so in tune with, with Australian cinema, there's, there's such an inherent, like, darkness to, the, to, like, the films. Like, even your comedies. I was, I was talking with my, uh, my friend who is from Brisbane, and he was even saying, like, you know, even Muriel's Wedding, like, it gets kind of heavy towards the end. And so I... Why, why is that? Do you think? Um, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, it's interesting how kind of darkness and violence here is usually tinged with comedy. Yeah. I don't know what it is that, you know, I'll, I'll be in a pub in a, like uh, if I'm in a pub in the UK, in London, you know, and, and a fight breaks out. You can see it coming a mile off. You can just, it's just <laughs> absolute mile off. What's really yeah. interesting is if you're in a pub in Australia, 
you, you have no idea it's about to happen. You could be talking to someone and they could be joking and laughing and the next minute someone's thrown across the table. And wow. then very, very quickly that those two people that were fighting are suddenly drinking beer again. It's a really, it's a, it's a very, very strange thing that, that, that I've always thought was very Australian, the way violence kind of comes out of humour and, and is also broken by comedy and humor. So mm. I think in a lot of our films that, that there's a kind of brashness to the humor and, and yeah, darkness and lightness can kind of play together. And I, and I, I just think it's because it's a hard land, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. You know, it, it was, you know, especially in those colonial times, I, I, I think, you know, you were trying to find humor out of any, any kind of, all the shit that was around you and that sort of darkness that was around you, I think that you kind of had to be pretty kind of thick skin. So I don't know. I don't know, but I do know that, that we, we, we do have an interesting relationship with violence and, and quite often than not, it, it, it does come out of moments that you would least expect. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess when you think about it, that's why someone like a Ned Kelly really does like resonate with, with, with the country as a whole, you know? Yeah, it's that Irish kind of yeah. underdog, you know, and it's um, yeah, and he and he's really idolised by a lot of you know white Australian men, you know, he, he he they they kind of see him as the kind of ultimate rogue. So there's there's um you know there's 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 definitely an an aspect of that, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, one final question for you before we close this out. Uh, obviously. Americans and Australians, while very different, they share kind of a, a similar rebellious past to to an extent. So, for you, what is the big difference between like an outlaw like Jesse James, an American, you know, uh, figure like that, versus like a Ned Kelly uh, and Australian outlaws? I don't know. I don't know much about Jesse James, and mm-hmm. but but the only way I can talk about it is is like you know, the, the love of the Western, I think for, for me, comes from America. I think that, that mm. there is an incredible tradition there with Westerns and, and, and Ned, true history of the Kelly gang is a Western. It, it is yeah. with, with a, with a, with a twist, but it's, you know, I, I think that American Westerns, there's a romanticism to it, really beautiful romanticism to, 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 um, to the past and to, to the landscape. In Australia, you know, it's it always feels a little unsettling. You know, it's it there's there's something kind of I guess a little more dangerous. The landscape doesn't feel so romantic. It feels more foreign. It's a bit more jagged. It's not so rounded. Mm. So I I do notice that um, you know Australian westerns um, are, are darker and and are a little bit more um, yeah a little bit more prickly than. Than, than those kind of amazing, you know, kind of American westerns that feel much smoother. So um, it, that that I think is kind of really really interesting, kind of between the two, and and probably maybe that's the the perception of Jesse James and Ned Kelly as well. Ned Kelly's sure. kind of uh, a bit bit more prickly than say the way people look at Jesse James. Yeah. Kelly here is he's much more. Well, I think in a, in a, in time, probably not so much now, but but in the past, he's he's kind of been more looked on as a kind of Robin Hood figure, as, yeah. a, as a as a figure against authority, and that is a huge part of our national psyche. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we we've always sort of you know we're you know we've we've always kind of had a kind of rebellion in us. So there's a kind of character and a quality in the personality of Ned Kelly that I think somehow we kind of 
you know, need to connect to and, yeah. and keep on embracing uh, as somehow part of our identity. But yeah, I, it, it, it seems like Ned maybe was a little bit more um, revered than, than Jesse James. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, a lot of that probably comes from, you know, the Irish, right? Like the, the, the Irish yeah. influences, which I, I love the comparisons you kept making uh, or, well, you know, calling into just calling upon like his Irishness and how that, you know, the family was kind of looked down upon for that. It just goes back to that yeah. whole conflict between, you know, the Brits and, and then the Irish. Yeah. 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 For sure. And I was a huge part of the, the, the uh, tension in the film. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, Justin, thank you so much for your time. I, I really appreciate thank it, man. You. I absolutely love the film. I think, um, I think people are going to really dig it. So thank you. Well, there you have it. That was my conversation with director Justin Kurzel. Seriously, that I just love being able to talk to filmmakers about movies, and especially when there's a film that they've made that I really like, but I seem to be in the minority on it. I like being able to make that personal connection, and so this one... Probably out of all of the interviews I've done, this is one of the ones that meant a lot to me. And Krizel is just the nicest human being and one of the most underrated filmmakers working today. I seriously think the guy has an incredible knack for visuals and storytelling, and I can't wait to see all the projects he has lined up for us next. The True History of the Kelly Gang is now available to rent on VOD, wherever that might be for you all, and it's actually now playing at a handful of drive-in theaters across the country. One specifically in the LA area at Mission Tiki for drive-in in Montclair. So if that's near you or you want to take a trip out of your house to go see a great film, then uh, here's an excellent opportunity for you. But even if you don't have a drive-in near you that's playing this film, go rent it on VOD. It's excellent. It's a great Australian Western with an amazing cast, some incredible performances, and phenomenal direction from Curzel. But as always, guys, the most important thing is I want to hear from you all. I want to know what your favorite Justin Curzel film is down in the comment section below of wherever you are listening to this episode. Be sure, as always, to subscribe to the Playlist Podcast Network for more episodes of The Fourth Wall, along with our TV recaps, Be Real, and and the rest of our diverse film-centric catalog. Whatever you're looking for, we got you covered over there. And if you really want to take an extra step and you, you want to help the show out and you want to make me all warm and fuzzy inside, it would mean a lot if you left us a rating and review because it greatly helps the show out and it lets me know what you're all loving and what you want to hear more of. I do actually have a next guest I can tease for you all and it is none other than Morton Tildum. He's going to be talking to us about his time directing episodes of Defending Jacob, but you all might know him from The Imitation Game and Passengers. That one... Is a real good one as well, so you've got something to look forward to in the interim. But lastly, if you like me specifically and you like what I have to say, you can give me a follow on Twitter at Griff Schiller. All right, thanks for tuning in, and I'll catch you next time. Take care. <laughs>